All right, let's go ahead and get this started. My name is Lauren Schell. I am the Vice President of the Property Masters Guild. And these are the property masters and the prop teams from the Star Wars uh, television series. <laughs> You're in the wrong room? Okay, good. Uh, if you could just introduce yourselves down the row, please. Uh, my name is Brad Elliott. I'm supposed to talk really close to a mic, yes. which is why I'm leaning in. Could you guys hear me okay back there? All right. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be the property master of the Kenobi series. Hi, I'm Bethany Barton. And uh, I was the assistant prop master on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and then a second unit prop master on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Uh, I'm Josh Roth. I was the property master on The Mandalorian, uh, Book of Boba Fett, and Ahsoka. Um, I'm Patrick Beals. I was the property illustrator for uh, Mandalorian Season 3, Ahsoka, and then after that, Skeleton Crew. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Nice. We Thanks love the enthusiasm. Thanks, love it. Uh, so to get us all started, uh, Star Wars is an ex has, has an expansive universe consisting of hundreds of novels and comics and video games, movies, television series, but most importantly, it has an incredibly passionate fan base, uh, as seen by everyone here. Uh, was there any sense of pressure from kind of everyone in the group? Was there a sense of pressure creating new worlds in the class with the classic characters and props within this universe? Uh, I guess I'll, I can start. Uh, the answer is, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I should Same. be sitting there. If I wasn't here, I'd be there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was able to deal with some legacy characters, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, and we were the first people to bring uh, Owen and Beru back, you know, from the prequels. And, like, as a Star Wars fan, I want new stuff, but don't mess with any of it, you know? <laughs> And it's really hard to find that balance. So, you know, we can talk more about specifics, but that, that was my personal pressure is dealing with characters that we all know and love and trying not to screw it up. So Yeah, good, excellent. So I would say definitely yes. There's a huge amount, I agree with Brad as well. Um, luckily, we were fortunate enough to deal with stuff like uh, characters like Boba Fett and other characters. And then also in terms of legacy stuff, bringing animate, animated characters as well which has been huge. So there's, been, there's an amazing resource up at Lucasfilm, which has been very helpful to both of us with just the amount of going to take pictures of props that exist from earlier movies, taking measurements, you know, being able to bring calipers, really getting to feel and hold the stuff. Because we want to do, we just want to make it look the best for not only ourselves, but for, for you guys here in the room as well. We wanted to make it look right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, excellent. Um, so kind of starting off with uh, Patrick and Josh down there, we start off these television series um, in the world of the Mandalorian, and the first uh, kind of you know ideas of the television series bridging the gaps between the movies and um, that sort of thing. And Din Djarin has some amazing weapons. Uh, he's got those explosive chargers in his belt, and the dark saber, and the razor crest has like this weapons cabinet that comes out. Um, what was the process of kind of getting those from? illustrations into, you know, proper props. 
So I can talk a little bit how we start to design and build some of the stuff. A lot of times we will have an illustration sometimes given to us by in-house Lucasfilm art team. Sometimes we have an illustrator working with us in our, uh, in our uh, production that we work with. So we start with an illustration, then from the illustration we talk about scale. We start figuring out the scale, how the different props, what, what size should they be, whether they're blasters, sabers. The dark saber originally was an animated prop. And the animated prop looks quite different from what we made. Part of the reason for that is the cost of what it would take to render. So the design, sorry, I'm tapping on the table. I shouldn't tap on the table. Um, the designs for the animated shows was a cost factor. So they kept it very blocky to make it easier for the rendering. And then when we had the opportunity to create it in live action, working with Dave and John and Doug Chang and really figuring out what is this design element. I mean, that's what's so much fun is how do we make this look more like real life prop. How do we make more instead of just you know an animated prop? So I mean, it's, it's so much fun. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, Patrick, did you have? No, I, I was going to say part of the the process, especially with the animated stuff, is like it's you know it's it's easy to you've got this animated design and I'm just going to plus this up and it's, you know we're going to res it up and make it cool. But kind of the kind of the design process that we kind of go through is. We assume that the animated prop is the down resed version of this live action piece, and so what did it look like before you know before these animators got a hold of it? Um, <laughs> so we kind of you sort of have to reverse engineer it and add you know oh they kind of simplified this let's make what did that look like before and kind of but but to that saying to that everything has to pass the Favreau Filoni litmus test so it's not like we just can't just make something up and just you know we have to make sure that it it proves and it fits within the world of Star Wars and really Filoni is the keeper of that world. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of animated series, um, looking at creating the world of Ahsoka in real life, um, it started off as a television animated series, but did you have like a library of existing drawings or animated equivalents or were you able to bring some creativity and a uh, license to create new things? So Ahsoka, yes, uh, that's I think I would say that's Filoni's baby for sure, is that character Ahsoka. That was the most uh, notes I've ever had on a prop working with him, working on those two sabers for her. And we kept very, he kind of already knew what he wanted, it was just making sure what was the scale and how, you know, what the materials, what the color finish, what the paint finishes were. And just kept doing tests and tests. And, you know, we printed probably three or four, you know, we, we did, I, what I do, so when I make a scale first, I do a 2D cutout. So I ha once we have an approved illustration, I'll put it on a foam core, I'll cut it out and we'll start playing with it. Start thinking about, okay, what si does the size work right? And then you try to get to the actress or the actor, put it in their hand and really start to see what, how does this work, how does it feel? Then once that gets approved, we start doing 3D models. And then from the 3D models, we'll print prototypes. Then you really start figuring out the scale and the buttons and you know, then I try to work in real world buttons or real world pieces or greeblies. We want to follow the same aesthetic that they did with the original movies when they were rent when the weapons were rentals from Bapti. And so you could only do X amount to these real firearms because you had to return them back to the rental house to use in another movie. So we're, that's why we kind of, the set, that's the mindset we're going into with this stuff. And part two is like, <clears throat> to Dave, Dave is very specific about, especially with Ahsoka, it's, that's his baby. And he is very specific ideas and tastes about what he wants stuff to look like. And, you know, Dave can draw, and Dave will draw it for you if you, you're not picking up on it. And then, <laughs> you know, to the um, 
the, the actual build, like, you know, the way, another way we try to approach it is with design and building is like, how would they have done this in 1977? Mm -hmm. Like what parts were available, what techniques were available, and we kind of go at it from that angle too, to make it fit into the look. And I gotta say the resource that I use a lot, and so I don't know if you guys are, are here part of it, but the RPF is a great resource. So you guys have done a lot of amazing re uh, just notes and research already. That helps me a lot. So I don't know. I don't know how much. You yeah, used totally. It, but same. It's a great website. So thank you guys for all. <laughs> it's been amazing. <laughs> it's really helped us out a lot. Thank you for your work on these shows. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's a, it's a group effort. It really is. It, it's not messing around. I mean, Star Wars. Every single grain of sand and button has been uh, has gotten a backstory written for it now. Yeah. And so it's really helpful to start there before we go forward. So everybody who's done that stuff, thanks. <laughs> Uh, for Brad and Bethany, uh, in Obi-Wan, um, what was it like creating a blaster for a character who in previous films called blasters clumsy and random and all of a sudden now he's got to use one? What was your process in kind of creating that for him? That was, that was a trick. Uh, that was his baby. He, yeah, I really... <laughs> so this is one that I didn't send out to an illustrator and I did my own drawings and I did my own stuff and I started with the found object process and... I, uh, every base gun that had been used had been used and used and used and used and I wanted something new but it had to be something old so I reached back to the world of uh, 1930s uh, competition air pistols uh, and I found um, Webley and Scott I think made a 1935 air pistol that I found on eBay and I brought that in and I bought a bunch of old camera equipment because you know you're, the flash handles are obviously a big part of things and they, that became a little optic for it and I just started taking pieces and putting them next to each other. I had uh, a tip to an old uh, like propane um, Venturi torch and then my kids brought home from this one birthday party like this little whistle, this little <laughs> nickel-plated whistle that they would blow incessantly around the house. So that is on the blaster <laughs> and not in my house. <laughs> but uh, the found object process, like you know, you, you're talking about, that, that keeps you in the Star Wars universe if you give yourself a palette to paint with that is the same palette that may have been accessible back then. Nobody used the Webley and Scott for that blaster, but it was a good basis. And then the overall design consideration is that this guy hates blasters and I have to give him one. <laughs> Crap. Uh, so I didn't want it to be a big, chunky, thigh hanger-like solo. It had to be small and not affect the silhouette because the costume designer had done a ton of work to get this costume to look the way it does. Mm -hmm. And he is also in this world when we first find him really an unassuming character who wants to fade into the background. So you don't want him to appear the gunslinger, but it's gotta be a powerful gun. So it's small, the bore of the barrel is huge. It's like five eighths inch so that it looks like it's gonna shoot like a little hand cannon. And uh, we really just did one design, mm -hmm. and Doug Chang uh, really liked it, Pablo Hidalgo liked it, and my director, executive producer, who did every one of the episodes, Deborah Chow, she uh, is not so steeped into this. She does not have the encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars, so she was leaning on Lucasfilm and our team to bring things forward that would work 
for her as far as story goes, but there was a different process because we didn't have a, a Filoni who just has, or, or even a Favreau, or a Favroni <laughs> uh, that had the encyclopedia in their heads. So it was, a, it was a different conversation on this. But I really love that blaster. I'm really proud of that work. Yeah, and it, it turned out really well, too. Um, the lightsaber designs have actually gone through a lot of iterations over the years. Um, did you find it difficult bridging the gap between Kenobi's prequel lightsaber and his New Hope lightsaber? What was that process of kind of bridging that gap? Because they, they're different. They're yeah, different. They, so the episode three lightsaber that Kenobi has is, is really shiny and sleek and it's thinner and shorter and has slightly different proportions than the one that Alec Guinness had in A New Hope that we all remember. And, and you know, I, I had one of each, basically. I got one from Roman props. Do you guys yes. know that? Uh, the, the episode four one. And then there was uh, plenty of merchandising for the episode three. And we kind of put them together. And that was a conversation with Deborah Chow about, like, how can we come up with the middle piece and not make all of these people mad at me? <laughs> Um, and her thought there was, this is about where Kenobi's coming from, so let's let the form factor be maybe 60 to 80% of the episode three saber, but we also have to acknowledge where he's going to, because this, you know, the whole series is about he's lost his connection to the Force and he's regaining that connection so that he can become the Obi-Wan Kenobi that we see later. And so it was, it, basically we used the back two-thirds of the episode three with a paint change and some form factor change in that little, there's little like fins on this grenade. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. And then we used the episode four emitter uh, at the end and gave it a paint treatment which kind of aged it in between. And it didn't seem that too many people sent me hate mail. So that's a win. <laughs> it's a win. It's a win. It's a win. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> <laughs> Not getting the hate mails, good, yeah. good thing. Uh, so, um, Josh and Patrick, uh, I in really enjoyed the scenes um, in Boba Fett where he's making the gaffy stick with the Tusken Raiders. Mm -hmm. I love seeing that process, and I think it was something unique uh, for us to see this weapon being formed. And it gave us a connection to the Tusken Raiders that we didn't previously really have. How was that construction conceived? Was it based in real life tribal weaponry, or you know, what was the process for you guys with the Gaffy Stick? So that, it was actually a lot of fun doing getting to explore the Tusken Raider um, culture. And so there was some. We looked at a lot of reference photos from you know New Hope, and there was one photo that had three Tuskens with three different Gaffy Stick tips. And we're like, you know, similar to the sabers, we figured. Each Tuscan, and we started talking this out with Dave and John and you know, making sure that everyone's okay with this, but each Tuscan makes their own gaffy stick. They should be all individual. And so then we started researching the same thing that we did the montage with the armorer. You know, I, Tony Swatton did uh, these amazing armorer tools for us, season one. And when we had to figure out what the blacksmith, I like to go to somebody who does this for real and try to figure out what is an actual blacksmith steps, then how do we make it more Star Wars? So mm -hmm. we started thinking about uh, was it based on a real, yeah, so originally they used uh, Fijian weapons called Totokias, and this is, again, following what was already existing, which the producers don't always like, because sometimes people have collected all these things already, and you can't find them anymore, and they're very, ex they're very expensive. But it's like, I, I have to stick, I can't, you know, you can't rewrite it 100%. And, but uh, so we started, we bought as many Totokias as we could afford. 
I found uh, somebody in Fiji who would sell me a couple for a pretty good price. We found some others from collectors in England. And then we just started making, and we started thinking about what would an actual carving scene. So there was a guy in my shop, Jason Lane, one of our prop makers, and I said, I don't know if I trust hiring somebody that doesn't know how to build this stuff. So we dressed him up, and he's actually the Tuscan Raider that using the, mm -hmm. the blades and charving away and, and chipping at it. So I knew that I could trust the person doing the actual work. Then we thought of it like a cooking show. So it's like, you know, you, you think Julia Child's got the eggs and she whisks the eggs, she puts them down, and the next thing you know, there's a cake. So we've made like 12 different stages of this gaffy stick so we could actually carve some wood, then partially carved, then uh, with the metal, then putting the metal in. So I write down little beat sheets and then get those approved, you know, kind of what the actions are going to be. But yeah, that was a re I really, I'm glad you guys like that because that was a really fun sequence to do. I love those kind of building montages. Getting to expand upon the Tuscan culture was a lot of fun. I, I want to jump into because we both do budgets for these departments and one would think that these shows have like, what do you need? Go ahead, spend it. And like one of my early conversations with Deborah Chow was like, Brad, did you ever think you would be doing Star Wars on a budget? And I'm just like, wow, because we can't have everything we want, you know. It's tough. <laughs> and just to... Yeah. Just to, um, what Josh was saying about you know going out and getting the gaffy six and stuff. I didn't. I, I only did. I only ended up doing a couple things for yeah. Book of Boba Fett. Um, but uh, it, like we were doing stuff for Mando, and that we'll go. You know, and I'm a fan, and I'm a collector, and like we go out on eBay and we you know buy the master replicas. You know the um, the West Stars and cut them up, and I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, these are so rare. Oh my God. Um, but um, I did a bunch of the, I did a lot of, um, I did a bunch of stuff for the Tuscan Raiders, like, um, I did a bunch of farming tools, and some of the conversations we were having were like, you know, they, can they weld? Can they, like, what are their, you know, they, they obviously don't have CNC machines or anything like that, but, you know, but they've got welders, and like, you know, they've got a forge, and so kind of trying to figure out what that stuff kind of looked like. Where does all the wood come from on Tatooine? Just fighting words. Am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, where, where's the dreams. whale meat come from on Tatooine? I mean, like, you know, like, the big whale that was in the dirt. space whale. I mean, sorry, we, sorry. No, no, we don't. The other thing with the welds, even we would go, we went back and looked. You know, I've been fortunate enough where they've sent us to the archives to look at the props, and you see there's welds on the original gaffy stick. So we figured that obviously they know how to do that kind of stuff. They know how to do simple construction, but they don't. You know, they can't build a blaster. I mean, they're building. Well, they're building the um, the longer ones, but they're not building. I'm sorry. The slug throwers. Yes, they build slug throwers. See. Our people. Um, <laughs> but they obviously had some sort of technology, but they're not as advanced as the other civilizations. So that's, you know, we're trying to make sure everything fits within certain, you know, make things that are relatable to the species that are holding the, and holding certain props. In terms of triggers, too, like I'm sure you've had the issue with certain characters, certain species, and making sure their, their flippers can actually use the trigger yeah. properly. Yeah, with uh, Ned B. Ned B needed a, hey Ned, good to see you again. You look shorter. Ned B needed a blaster in Kenobi, and I'm like, well, you know, the, there's all these battle droid blasters must have gone somewhere. Let's, let's pull one of those out. He's a droid, he's shoot a blaster, it's an easy choice. And then realizing his hand wouldn't actually fit because of the trigger guard, and I'm like, so let's just say he ripped off the trigger guard. <laughs> and that's what his blasters <laughs> tend to, because they're, yeah, they're, they're geometry and they're, they're, 
their anatomy is all different. And we had done that on Mandalorian too. It was like we're designing blasters, and it's like, well, there's a there's an Aqualish that has this blaster, and he's got a big flipper for him. He's just, you know, it's like a seal basically. Like, what's that trigger going to look like? We came up with a like a whole paddle kind of arrangement. Which is way better than like those floppy Greedo fingers that stick through, you know? I mean, well, <laughs> just saying. Oh, then the, uh, on Mando season three, the keytar that the, the, in the band, um, we had to figure out his hands. If it reads, you have the weird hands. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Patrick, you actually worked a lot on the map sphere in Ahsoka, correct? I did. Yeah, that was one of my personal favorites. Uh, just kind of the inner workings and the how. What was how? Well, how did you do? Thankfully, I didn't have to do. Um, so the map sphere, it started out. Um, we had gotten some designs from Lucasfilm early on, and it was basically a brass ball that had a clock inside. It split in half, and inside there was like this clockwork planetary system. And so when I started on it, it was kind of figuring out how, you know, we got to put a servo in there, batteries and gears, and how are we going to figure that out? <coughs> Sorry. And then it turned into, it was going to be a puzzle, and so it was trying to come up with some ways to rotate parts of it and then um, you guys found that yeah so this goes back thing. to the budget question we're trying to make as many movements as possible with this but not creating something from scratch so in the essence of Star Wars what can we find that we can then use as a base layer to cover and then turn into something else so we found a puzzle online and we okay. used, yeah, sorry and, mm. and then um, as I remember the story um, they you found this puzzle ball showed it to Dave and it was right before we broke for Christmas, I think. And Dave was like, hey, let me take this home over the holiday and think about it. And then when we came back in January, he had that whole, that cloverleaf thing, the trifecta, we called it, that all worked out. And Peridia and Cetos, and like he had it all, like I remember he had a bunch of like notes. All the sketches, yeah. And then we, and then that, and this is kind of, so that cloverleaf shape, that drove the art department to draw, to design the set, then the temple that she finds the ball in, and then, they did a bunch of hieroglyphics for the map chamber, and then I got those hieroglyphics, and then I was like, well, now I have to figure out how to put it on a ball. I was like, Burr. and then put it on the ball, and I, I mean, it took, it, like, I had to make it all line up, and it all worked, and then Dave was like, oh, no, no, they don't ever solve it. It's never solved. The, the solve is these three planets lining up. It's never, it's always scrambled, then that's why Huyang can't figure it out. And, so then I just took a bunch of the pieces I'd already done and scrambled them around and flipped them and I was like, done! <laughs> and then, yeah, we ended, ended up... You were in there for a while. Though. Yeah. It was, well, it was kind of off and on, too. Yeah. But it was like, I mean, I think I started it, I think it was like September, yeah. and then it was like March, I think, by the time <laughs> we had it. But there was a lot of coordination. This is where it's fun with our department gets to work with all, almost every department, I would think. We're one of the few departments that has to interact with every department on a film set. So we're working with the art department to make sure that when you see the floor, those are the exact same drawings that are on the ball. When you see the, making sure that everything lines up and then the map working with VFX and they take the ball and they make sure that everything, so they're scanning it and doing all that. We're giving files, but yeah. The, the, the map sure came out awesome. Yeah, yeah. really did. Bethany, question for you. So there was a huge amount of background that happens in um, Obi-Wan, and there's so many different worlds and different looks and aesthetics for each of these worlds, and 
everybody has to have something, you know, prop-wise. What was it like for you having to deal with all of these backgrounds and propping, creating bags for everybody? Because these, you know, having to go out in the modern world, buy modern bags, turning them into Star Wars bags, and it, everyone here knows about that. You know, <laughs> we've all done that. Um, yeah, we had a lot of background. Um, I'm so well, sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, the world of Obi Wan. We did a lot of found object design because that's what the original trilogy did. So it was going into that same sandbox and using that same pile of sand to build our sandcastles. So it was. Uh, a lot of military surplus, you know, being on auction websites and getting pallets of, you know, crazy surplus items that would have existed back then, and then greebling them. And I mean, sometimes it was so fast and furious, and they'd add, you know, oh, there's another 150 people today. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> so I'd be like, how far away from the camera are they? As I'm like spray painting, like, you know, Nerf guns, and I'm like, don't let Brad see this one! <laughs> and then he's like, what do they have back there? I'm like, don't look, don't look. That yeah, can um, never come out of the holster. Don't let it, I would glue it into the holster. But yeah, it was a lot of, you get to know the language of Star Wars and the language of each planet, and Brad and I are such fans and such geeks, and we got to spend three months before the show started really just getting in there and geeking out and giggling a lot, <laughs> um, that we knew, I think we knew what we wanted everything to look like and we were able to, I mean. It's, it's still Star Wars on a budget, right? But yeah. Star Wars A New Hope was on a budget. Yeah, and yeah. So it's very accurate. It's, maybe that's okay. Maybe those handcuffs are okay to wear when you're trying to create something that is so close to that. Because, I, I mean, our time period really lands in, you know, our show takes place right here in a pocket that's right in between episode three and episode four. You know, Josh is bouncing all over the timeline, a little bit more than we are, certainly. And so bit, yeah. we could land it really, we leaned into A New Hope as opposed to the shiny, uh, you know, Revenge of the Sith world. And I think that's where it actually helped us um, yeah. save a lot of money and pick up a lot of efficiencies. Mm -hmm. Can we say we're, I think, between five to seven after Jedi. So we also really stick into the original trilogy for the most part. We're just starting to get into New Republic stuff a little bit. Cool. Um, and Brad, you know, I, ha I heard a story that I just have to have people sh know uh, with the homemade lightsaber of yours that, oh, yes. you, that you threw in there. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> I'm in my mid-20s and I don't have a job and um, my brother's having a Halloween costume and I'm like, oh, I'm hanging out with my grandpa in Half Moon Bay and I'm like, I'm gonna be Luke Skywalker. So I find some bed sheets and I start dying and I just, I make a costume and it's not good. Um, <laughs> but it needs a lightsaber. And so I run to a hardware store in Half Moon Bay and for like, you know, $25, I buy like some exhaust. I know there were like some plumbing parts and like whatever. And I throw together a lightsaber that also wasn't good. And, uh, and just kept it forever because I'm a hoarder. And now we get to Kenobi and we have a fake Jedi character named Haja, right? I don't know if you've seen, remember Haja. And so everybody, so I, I, we're imagining in this world, which is post 
Order 66, like people would have heard of the Jedi. They probably would have a loose concept from stories as to what they were. The lightsaber would be something people would know about, but probably nobody's ever seen. So we needed a bad lightsaber that was good from afar, but far from good. And also already at Brad's house. And, well, <laughs> so I actually, we had a small shop and I, and I gave two or three people like, okay, here's what I need you to do. I, here's 50 bucks, there's Home Depot. Build me a lightsaber in a day and a half. Don't spend any more time on it. And remember, we're trying to make a bad lightsaber. So we had a few that were produced by these incredibly talented, really, really good prop makers. And they were all kind of good. Way too awesome. And we put them out. And it's like, you know, with Deborah Chow and Doug Chang, like, which one do we want to give to Haja? And they picked the one that I made for my costume way back when. <laughs> and like, I know, right? How freaking cool. <laughs> so like, if that past me could have ever known that that would become canon? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? So that's one of those, it's on a shelf at home. We and really I just love it. it. But it pays this off, like everything that you, yeah. like who knows, who knows where it might end up. We were really lucky, too, because Doug Chang recognized early on that we were so invested and so deeply researched and so knee-deep in the lore that he just early on was like, I trust you guys. Like, just kind yeah. of... Yeah, we it stopped was getting, getting drawings. His, yeah, getting his blessings. Which because then we had to draw our own. We had to draw everything. But he would come in and play with our stuff. We have pictures of him with sabers and help. Like, it was really fun to get to play with him because he's obviously Doug Chang. Anyway, keep building. Yeah. You never know. Make things. You never know. Yeah. Wake up, make stuff. Uh, we kind of briefly talked about it with the triggers and everything, but creating props with puppets, creating props with large prosthetics on actors, it, it's a challenge. It's something that is uh, just not something that everybody has to consider when we're prop mastering other shows. What was it like to create props that have to interact with people that might have flippers for hands or you know things like that but also knowing that someone's got to puppeteer some of this stuff as well well um there's a character named grogu i'm sure you guys know <laughs> and grogu he eats a lot he's always picking up bowls he's doing stuff so we work very closely with some of the puppeteers i see one of them here today and um so Part of what we do is we have to figure out, and, and these guys also have a lot of Muppet experience uh, in other things, so we figure out, we test props. Sometimes you'll mold it and make a lighter weight prop so that's something that they can actually lift. Sometimes that's on a rod that gets removed. Uh, so we do a lot of old school tricks. We do rehearsals. We have to, you know, we look at what the script asked for the action to be, and then we figure out, you know, if, they're, if he's eating a frog, well, obviously a, one of the frogs are about this big, and Grogu's mouth is only this big, so mm -hmm. maybe we cut a leg, and we put a leg in there, and, and then our friends in visual effects help, or sometimes you do a little wipe, and you have the puppet do something. But we work very closely and do a lot of rehearsals, and that, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Not too many people know this, but Ewan McGregor is a fully animatronic puppet. <laughs> and no, um, we didn't, obviously, having a main character that's a puppet is a completely different conversation, you know. We, but it, it is always a consideration of like how, okay, we have a droid and we need an S-Comp device to plug into the wall, you know, how is that going to actually affix the droid and like we have to talk to make sure that the set designers are like, no, 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 that's way too high. Droids are only this big, and the door that this has to come out of is here, 
And it can come out of the top of the door or the bottom of the door, but this is your range, and that's where that has to be set into the wall. And it's just, when you're dealing with, I would say creatures and puppets especially, you have to think the problem through the entire way from, you know, what soup to nuts is the phrase, I guess, or a phrase that old people use. So uh, it's, it's one of those things where you really have to back the problem up and think it all the way through so that, yeah, you know it's just like we gotta chop a leg off and that's how he's gonna get the leg into his mouth or, or whatever it is, you know, we had this big huge monster alligator creature in one of the bar scenes or, and like what are they eating and it can't be small because it'll just get lost but if it's too big it'll look like the opening of the Flintstones <laughs> so we really have to find those, those scales and the weight it's, it makes everything a little harder but also a little more fun and stuff for like the Scomplink, um, so we had five different R5s in season four for all the different actions. I mean, that's the other thing. You have to build, and we've had some help from some of our droid builders here, Woo! some amazing stuff for the droids. But we, we, we will have specific droids for specific actions. So you'll have the Scomplink droid. You'll have a droid that we can still put an actor inside of. You'll have a droid that has a 323. You'll have a, a droid that has uh, rocket boosters. So it's like we have all the different versions, and, and then you work with the editing team and the directors, let them know this is what this one can do. And sometimes the edit doesn't always match up 100% to what I, <laughs> I would like, would like yeah. them to do, but at least you give them that, you tell them this is what this guy can do, and this, you know, and this, so try to make it work. And Josh, you, you had a chance to actually build a chopper, a new chopper droid for that, yeah? We did. Um, so that was Ooh. another one of Dave's, well, Dave's the voice of chopper. And so Dave is, uh, it's fun to, it's really fun to work. He's such a collaborator, really fun to work with him. So the hard part about that is, um, Again, it's translating, and I think you've mentioned this as well too, Brad. Um, Dave has always said that animation is a caricature of real life. So taking the animated chopper, our chopper looks different because it is different. You know, the chopper that we've seen before has been animated in the show in Rebels. So our chopper looks different, and then there's a lot of amazing droid builder kits out there and stuff you can buy, but there's not, choppers are different size. It's a different scale, it's different pieces. So then it was figuring out, we had a, a Jeff Jingle who was our main fabricator, the lead on that. Just, we spent so much time figuring out all, and we got some parts CNC. We wanted to make as much, I wanted to make as much metal. So we had a bunch of stuff CNC'd, but just doing the drawing, I mean, that was almost a 28 week process to build chopper from scratch. Oh, that's incredible. Look great. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, it did, it did. Uh, Bethany, I would love to touch on a moment of just the differences between an assistant property master and a second unit property master, and, and also your knowledge of the film being able to make that jump into working to the second unit. Well, quite honestly, because we had worked on the show, we did all the prep together, um, by the time we had a second unit, we had sort of made all the things already, so it was sort of me queuing them up and then handing it to a brilliant and capable person and being like, go, oh, we're so busy, please go do things. So then when it came to me, for me to go to run my own unit, it was sort of all the same things, just we couldn't be everywhere at once. Mm. Um, so it wasn't a huge transition for us, it was the props and the story we, we had already been telling. It was just us somehow being in two places at once. Well, and also, because we couldn't make as many of the props as we wanted, we have to split our kit between two units yeah. often. And then that, so each unit now is a little more thin than we'd want because, okay, I'd really like eight of these, but we're probably only going to get four or five of these. And you have to give the really 
crappy ones to second unit because they're just going to do stunts with them and beat the hell out they of them anyway. The yeah. They're mostly at this point half super glue, but yeah. you know, <laughs> flying through the frame, you know, jumping from rooftop to rooftop or whatever it is, you can get away with a little bit of that. Thank goodness that Chung Hoon Chung lit everything so dark. Yes, <laughs> that was helpful. Um, and something that I think our audience would be interested in, what are the foundational skills that you feel like aspiring prop makers or property masters that want to get into this industry should have or start to cultivate? What, what has helped you the most? What do you think would be the most helpful kind of thing? Enthusiasm? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a hard question. I, know. I mean, I started out as a prop maker, so I put a different filter on things. My first job in town that wasn't a PA was I was building props in the Muppet Workshop. So I've come from a place of making, always. Mm -hmm. And I still make, just for me. So This is why I didn't want him to see the Nerf guns, because it's this guy. It's a Nerf gun. Let's not talk. <laughs> We're not going to mention the Nerf guns. <laughs> no, but I think for me, as a prop maker, as, I don't know, Prop master is just like, I have to get away from all these toxic chemicals, so I guess i got to run the department now, is kind of where that was. But if you're a maker, you're a maker. Mm -hmm. you know. And deciding that you want to be a prop maker professionally isn't going to be the thing that flips that switch. That switch is already going to be turned on, and you're already going to be making. The, you know, yeah. Our droid builder friends are the perfect example of that. And thank goodness that they are, because on Kenobi, we had to start with nothing. And they didn't share much. Yeah, they as had far all the droids. good stuff. They had the best toys, and because you know, there wasn't know. up to us. They're like, we have all the good <laughs> stuff. But you had really seasons busy. worth of stuff built, which is great. And we had like, oh my, how are we gonna? Star Wars is droids, and Star Wars is creatures, and we're not gonna be able to build them all. So we need to get stuff that people have made. And so thank God for the droid builders clubs, mm -hmm. and thank goodness that they. You know, like Mike Senna allowed us to spray paint one of his droids and like graffiti it up. It was a beautiful job. I did that. But <laughs> it was really fun. Like that is so critical. If you want to be a prop maker, start making, and you probably already are. And then it's just a decision to jump into a really chaotic, hectic, and insecure industry. <laughs> Well, and that was a joke we had all the time, too, because we're makers. We make things all the time. We've made things for other kinds of shows. But now we were making things, and it was canon. So we kept joking. We, were, we put a little sign on the door. We make canon. Because it's just what we're doing. It's what you're doing. It's what we're doing. You're already waking up and doing this. And mistakes are okay. I don't know if you've been to the PMG thing downstairs. There's a, a really beat up droid there. That's one that I built in my driveway with a lot of help from a lot of people. And the droid builders are kind enough not to tell you this, but I put the coin returns on upside down because it was <laughs> late at night and uh, I screwed it up. And now it's canon, so you can too. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> any any thoughts from down there on uh, fundamental um, skill sets? Hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it, being a maker is important in terms of I mean, just understanding how things go together and how things work, and you need to, you know, if something fits inside of something else, it's got to have room for clearance. It can't be exactly the same diameter and. You know this screw you know how basically how things work but I think 
um, a lot of it, at least on my end of it, is kind of knowing what the gig is, because um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I, oh my god, I get to draw lightsabers, but I don't just get to go nuts. Like I, you know, I'm drawing Josh's lightsabers for the most part. I get well, to put, you, you drew um, all the sabers for Ahsoka yeah. mostly, but but at the same time, it's like I don't get to just make them up. I can put my own flavor in there, but you know, I'm I'm mostly for a prop master, and mostly they don't have time to draw it or. Maybe they can't draw it. I don't know. I can't um, draw it. I can't draw it. <laughs> so I, can't they, draw it. I can draw it. So they, so they bring me in, and they go, this is what I want. And then I draw it, and I go like this. And they go, well, make the back smaller, like whatever it is. Um, but um, when you, And you might be, man, I've drawn the coolest lightsaber ever, and they don't like it. And that's that sucks, but like that's the game, man. It's like, you know, it's knowing not to take that kind of stuff personally is like, can I hate my lightsaber? I can't go home and do that. I gotta go, nope, time to draw another one. I got, it's three o'clock. Like, you know, I got a couple hours. Let's knock another one out. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I thank you so much. And I would love to open it up for questions from the audience. If anybody has any questions, Mikey is going to bring a microphone around. You want to point to who you want to? Uh, yeah, it's Mikey. Yeah. Can we right call here. you Mikey First Microphone? First hand up. Is this the droid? Uh, no, this is the if you've worked on any of the shows, you don't get to ask anything. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you can. My question's for Josh. Um, as you probably know, the 501st pours themselves over every little detail of costume work and tries to get everything you know precise as possible. Can you talk a little bit about what went into the choice of making the Biker Scouts? Um, different than what we saw in, say, Return of the Jedi or, or whatnot, because their costumes, as you surely are aware, are definitely different than what we see you know, on Endor and all that. So on, I don't really do much with the armor. The armor is all through the costume department, so I dealt with the blasters, uh, but I can't, unfortunately, I was, that was not my department, so. Big shout out to the 501st, though. Yes, yes. Honestly, yes. such cool people. Uh, Kenobi had a scene where uh, Reva, I almost called her Riley, that's her code name, now we all know, uh, was walking up and they're going to blast through a door and kill a bunch of proto-rebels. And that was the 501st, and I believe that was the first time that the 501st got to play the 501st on camera, which was really cool. And they are amazing folks. It was folks, an amazing day. And I want to shake all their hands forever. So, so cool. Uh, anyone else? Questions? Oh, right back there. Mikey's coming around. Just throw it. <laughs> Hi. I'm so sorry. Um, this is for everybody. So the Star Wars fandom, it's great, but it's also notorious for being really harsh. Like, I love you guys, but you scare me. <laughs> um, so how do you deal with that? Like, you create such amazing work, and not everything, like, we don't live in the 70s, we don't have every single thing from the 70s to make it exactly the way it was. How do you deal with all, everyone being people, yeah? <laughs> the like, backlash. What's the mental health, like, process for everyone? I, I love this Especially question. for the women that are in the, uh, everyone, but especially for the, the women that, like, are in it. Because it, they tend to get blamed the most. Yeah, that's total crap. Um, the, uh, my department is full of the most amazingly talented women you could ever meet, and I ride on the shoulders of their giantessness. And we have Jamie Christopherson, Jamie Christopherson right, on there. Set right there. On set. But 
you know, to, also singing promise to get to that not screwing up and not making people angry thing. Like, I, I, so we had we have a box in Kenobi, right? And he digs it out of the sand and he opens it up and there's his saber and there's Anakin's saber. And for whatever reason, they have changed that lightsaber every single time it's been on camera since A New Hope, which I hated those choices personally. I don't know why you mess with one of the most iconic lightsabers ever. It's, it's different from A New Hope to Empire. It certainly changes when Ray finds it in a garage sale in a basement. <laughs> and so when we open up that box, you see the Kenobi saber, which obviously was really considered, and we talked about that, so I'll shut up on that. But you see Anakin's saber, and I believe I'm the first person to put back the A New Hope with the calculator bubbles on the uh, graphless clamp in, into a show again, because why mess with it? So, and also, I pointed them in different directions. I don't know if you guys got that, but like Anakin's going in one direction at that point, Obi-Wan's going in another direction. So. For me, it's just, I, like I said before, I am you, so it's easy not to piss me off if I make decisions that make sense for you and also me. That's a terrible answer. <laughs> Sorry. But, but I will say, and I can speak a little bit about armor in this sense, there are things that happen that are sometimes out of our control. So the original Boba Fett armor was created for an actor, Jeremy Bullock, you know, and it was a certain size. When we have Tamora playing Boba Fett, He's a different body shape. Mm -hmm. So we went and we scanned the armor, or Shauna did, and it was exactly the same thing, but it didn't fit the new actor properly. And the way we're doing camera tests, it doesn't look correct. So that's a hard choice, because you want it to be exactly the same, but there's a new actor on the inside. So that's where we modify it, and you have to modify things sometimes just to make sure that it looks better on screen. And that's a choice that's made by the creatives all the way up. So that is sometimes where things do different. Not, it doesn't answer the uh, Biker Scout one, but I, I at least can speak for why Boba Fett's armor is slightly different. And it's a proportional thing too. I mean, a lot of times you'll see, um, with especially the, um, the female actors, because they're smaller, will scale props down. Sometimes it'll be like the dark saber when it's on Bo's hip is I think 85, 90%, 90% scale of the actual scale just because and um, I think the guard is thinner too, mm -hmm. because otherwise, hanging on her hip, it looks gigantic and it sticks way out because of the the hilt or the guard, I should say. So. And also, we're we're obviously doing our best because we're fans and we want it to be amazing. But there comes a point where you just have to tell the story and trust the team you're working with and really believe in what you're doing. And you know that there's people who are going to hate it anyway. But that's all art, right? You, you just have to do your best and be really prepared and really flexible and make something you're proud of. And if somebody hates it, they hate it. And that when I was doing the, um, when we did the sabers, sorry, when we did the sabers for Ahsoka, we kind of, we did some things that were different um, that hadn't really been seen before in lightsabers. And so I was kind of like, I don't know what people are going to think about that. Um, but everybody seemed to like, really like it. So that was, whew. <laughs> Oh, question down here. How did you choose the lightsabers that uh, Ahsoka had collected? Oh, the ones in, in her T6? Oh, no, she had a... Sword. In her weapons cabinet yeah. in the T6? Yes. Uh, we just picked some various okay. ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just picked them. <laughs> <laughs> were, you made were, were the Kenobi Decision ones made. that we had in the pile? Did you get those? 
we try what we try to do is like um, it was more fun for me is when we had the scene where Hu Yang's making the lightsaber because we went and found a lot, lot of different Easter eggs from all these different sabers and put all these parts and I I don't know how much actually got seen on camera but there's a lot of little different bits and stuff from you know, stuff from the prequels and stuff from you know from the the original trilogy and so yeah but yeah those ones we just we picked some there's a couple background from Kenobi but then some we, you know we just made some we made some in the shop. Any other questions? Oh, one down right here. I was just kidding take about what I said. From the Empire. Just saying. First off, thank you for being here. Um, I just wanted to ask you, mentioning art, what other uh, sources of art that you take inspiration for? And, and having these 40 years plus of Star Wars uh, lore behind you, are there any uh, sources of uh, maybe the expanded universe that you've taken uh, inspiration from into your, your own art? Uh, yeah, I'll go. Uh, I bought the complete Ralph Macquarie books mm -hmm. because I'm like, if you're going to start looking for art inspiration on this, that's the hand that drew so many amazing things. So that's one place to start. And then when we had to come up with, what was it, eight or nine different like background kind of lightsabers, the process we used there was uh, we that guy. had, yeah, there was that guy. Mike Barton. Mike over Barton. There. Uh, he designed this. And I had sent him sort of some inspiration images where I had taken, there's a really cool lightsaber of Star Wars book and I had taken a digital version of that and literally just in Photoshop, I chopped those lightsabers up and then I put those lightsabers back together because that's form factor and shape language and stretching and squashing and squishing and then handed off to Mike saying, this is trash, please make it nice, <laughs> which he did, thank you so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the old stuff has to inform the new stuff so that you stay in the world. But I, I mean, Macquarie's books, if you haven't looked through every page, there's so much there, you know. I mean, even Zeb is, quite a Zeb is a, an early Chewbacca. Yeah, no, I mean, same thing here. Macquarie, we're still using that a lot for reference for certain things. Um, and then I just also look at other 70s sometimes movies, other 70s sci-fi, like and I just, I love Mobius, and I love other just artists. And just I just like to see what's out there. There's some crazy, crazy stuff. And sometimes they, it passes the Filoni test, sometimes it doesn't. But I'll pitch, yeah. I'll pitch stuff, you know, why not? Yeah, Macquarie is like the, the touchstone, I think, for everything. And, and you know those guys, uh, Joe Johnston, Doug Chang. I mean, they're those are the that's the core right there. And we had Doug. I would joke every time Doug Chang would write on a post-it note, I'd be like, "Sign it." <laughs> <laughs> Just roll his eyes at me. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, uh, you always get. It, I if I send something to Doug and he, you know, it's, oh, it looks good, and it was like, oh my god, like, but. Um, my joke was always, you could tell when Doug doesn't like something because um, and Doug's the nicest guy ever. Um, the, the, what he would send, well, if you can tell if he doesn't like it because what he'll send back is, that's cool, let's try something else. <laughs> so, and you're like, oh. Another question? Uh, right back there. Oh, hold up, wait, wait one second, the microphone's coming. Why does it, we should just give everybody a mic. Everyone gets a mic. Everyone. Under your chair. Um, Kind of related to the, that's cool, let's try something else. Do you have a design, like the one that got away, something that you poured your heart and soul into and then it just did not make the cut? I mean, the graffiti droid was not seen on camera as much as I wanted. So we were in a, we were all talking and, and Deb is there and 
she told me I could design my own droid, but I didn't really have time to build a droid, so the awesome Mike Senna gave me one of his droids, and we put a different head on it, and I got this crazy reflective wrap for car wrap, and I put graffiti all over it, which I don't think he knew was going to happen, and then he showed up and was like, okay, that's my droid now. But we didn't really get to see it on camera, which kind of bummed me out, because that was my baby. It's there. It's, I mean, it's... I can't think, I, honestly, there's other projects where so many cool stuff mm -hmm. has gotten thrown in the trash can, but I don't, I have, I don't, I can't think of anything right off the gate. And maybe that's because we were just moving so fast. Yeah, sprinting. So we'll do options, let's say you have a new character, and we'll maybe do four different blaster options. So the one that gets picked for that character, that's the one we move forward with with the build, but we'll still keep the other three, maybe another character later on in the season. So we've already done the works, because same thing with the speed. If you already have the drawing and the illustration, we try to use as much of that as possible. Mm -hmm. There's no trash in Star Wars, is one of the phrases that we used to use. Yeah. Because we had, okay, so what was that, that data card thing, that, that brass one? Um, I don't know what, oh, it was in a, like a drug a, den and it was like it a door a card, it was yeah. whatever. And um, we designed it, it looked cool, it's fine. We go out, we get them laser cut and they come back and we just, they were too big. We they were way too them. big. They were enormous. Like stupid too big. <laughs> we put one on the wall even and said, check your scale and underlined it, but those same pieces then went to the set deck department and they stuck them on walls and painted them in. So like even the mistakes, even the stuff that isn't right, you can still use it because mm -hmm. there's just no trash in Star Wars. Use every part of the buffalo. Yeah. 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 The, the same. I, the, I think the one that um, was Ezra's new saber, I think we don't ever really get a good look at it. Not really, no. Yeah. But not, not no, but, maybe. But yeah, but everything gets used. I mean, there's... There's stuff too, like you know, you 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 worked on it for weeks, and you were you they guys were there at midnight building it, and it works tomorrow, and it's crazy, and then it's basically like, hey, I got the thing, let's go, and that's the scene. <laughs> that's and just props like, in general. Though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we caught that last night. <laughs> Question, uh, right over here, uh, Mikey's coming around. This guy's gonna like call down an airstrike on us. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're next. Uh, Josh, you had mentioned um, how you guys use uh, 3D printing during the design phase when you're trying to get something like physical that you could hold. Um, and you look at like uh, cosplayers and 501st and 3D printing is like really popular. Um, how do you currently use that in the industry today and how do you see that changing in the future? So we have a couple, I think we have what, nine 3D printers yeah. in our shop right now? So we have some PLAs, we have some resin printers. Um, 3D printers, is a, they're fantastic. And um, a lot of people use them, but the, the, the material that they are actually using to print, as that keeps updating and changing, because now there's new printers that are printing. Um, I mean, my, my, I just saw you post, Mike, some stuff about, um, uh, sorry, I forget the name of the material. The bamboo? Carbon fiber. With the what? Yeah, the yeah. carbon fiber. So it all depends on what you can actually put into the machine. Because once you have the file, and once the machine has the proper, can have, you know, can actually use that um, material, you, can, you will be able to start using it. Um, I think Brad and I actually worked on a movie once a long time ago called Oblivion. And 3D, print, 3D printing had just started. And so we had, we had spent weeks going to Tom Cruise's house, making sure this new you know, pistol fit his hand properly. It was all you know, fantastic, and the, the prop shop at the time was so excited. They had this thing called an object, and they were so excited. They put it in this Pelican case. It was all foam. They ship it to us in Louisiana, and I opened the case, and four of the six blasters are broken just from shipping. Or, or he's wearing it in his holster, and he sits down. 
Yeah. So it's like, it, it, we, we thought, like, this is it, 3D printing, and the materials just weren't strong enough. But also now there's dental stuff. There's all these different yeah. things that are changing and new resins that you can actually have something that will last and will sustain being on set. So, and I think they're great for, for anybody making stuff. You know, 501st, Cosplay, everybody. They're, they're great machines if you know how to use them. Sometimes you're stuck with it, too. Like, because of the speed that we have to work with, it's, you can print it, clean up that mold master, make it perfect, mold it, cast it. Yeah, if we had the time. But you know what? We don't. This plays in two days. We're printing it, and we're painting it, and it's yeah. going out, and... Just don't drop it. <laughs> oh my goodness, the first prop we ever handed to Ned B. What was that? It was his hammer. Oh. <laughs> and it was a resin print because we were sprinting. And he took it and he has this big hand, you know, to hold it. And he's like, oh my gosh, my first prop, boop, drops it and it breaks. <laughs> it's okay, we have two. We Please have don't one. drop this other one. <laughs> And he's the nicest guy, so he was heartbroken. I broke my first prop. There's nothing you can't fix with IC2000. Write that down. <laughs> it's the best super glue in the world. Yeah, and we, um, like, <clears throat> the, we got guys in our, in our manufacturing shop that are like human 3D printers. And, you know, I design a gun, and it's just a 2D drawing. And, you know, okay, that gun got approved, and it'd be great. And then I'll go down, you know, to the shop, like, the next day, and I'll be like, you know, what, what, okay, what, do you want me to 3D print some of the parts? Like, do we need a 3D modeling of this? And the guy's got it made. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what, what did you make this? Of? Wood and some metal. Be <laughs> right there. Like, oh, so my God. In a perfect world, I like to do two fully metal versions of every blaster and every hilt. So we were lucky enough to have great machinists, and we have mills and lathes, and, and we send out certain parts for CNC. But we, we always have at least one, if not two, full metal version of every weapon, and we use that to cast off of and to make our replicas. And we'll PLA print like um, usually if we're trying to get the size of something right, we'll we'll PLA print mock-ups and hand it off to Dave and Doug, and them. Mostly, I'm using it for scaling. Like, how big is this? Once you get past the 2D like foam core, whatever it is, then you got to make it and hold it because mm -hmm. you don't have enough time to get it wrong and you don't have enough money to back up and do it all over again once you get to sort of the end of the rainbow. Yeah, and PLA takes a lot of time to clean up too, as I'm sure you guys know. Okay, there was a question to, okay, right? This guy, we gotta get this yeah. guy. <laughs> Can you give a little bit more background on the droid bar in uh, Mandalorian the season bar? three? And oh, the droid also, bar. Yeah, the droid bar and also um, are um, humanoid droids costumes or props? Okay, so technically, I think droids are creature effects. So if you want the movies that are made in London through Neil Scanlon, they, not only do they handle all the aliens and the creatures, they handle all the droids as well. Season one of Mando, I don't, you know, I, I signed up for way more than I probably should have. I was making speeder bikes, I was making droids, I was making all sorts of stuff that aren't necessarily a prop. Um, but because of that, over the five seasons, I've now, in SAG, I'm now able to perform and puppeteer some of these droids on set, which is great. The droid bar, I think John had seen us, uh, so we've been able to build all sorts of different droids over the, the seasons, and he, I think he was just messing with me a little bit, because he's like, I just want to <laughs> see how many droids we can actually get in there. So we, we had 50 droids, two, two uh, humans, um, you know, protocol droid costumes, and then uh, 50 RC puppets, essentially. So we worked very closely with Legacy. Out of the 50, I think three were rentals from uh, the droid builders, but everything else was from Legacy and ourselves. 
So that was an amazing, I mean, it was so much fun, that set. And it was, it was uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the, I'm really proud of that one. Even though it was a, it was a totally crazy episode, <laughs> but uh, I think that set came out really awesome. I love that scene. Uh, back there, Scarlet Witch. <laughs> um, hi, I was just wondering if there's like um, a prop that was like the hardest thing that you ever had to make, like which is like the hardest prop you ever had to make. We had a big e-web cannon. Oh god! Oh god! I still twitch. I was like, I'm gonna start twitching. <laughs> I have. I'm a grinder at night now. Um, <laughs> It was a big, ambitious project. It was a design that was given to us from Doug Chang, and it's a beautiful, huge, like, hover e-web thing without enough time to make it. And we, I mean, we were the night before trying to stabilize it, so when it does its firing and does this, the whole thing doesn't just shake like it's up, you know, a bunch of wet noodles. And that one was really tricky. And as we're pushing it out onto set, it had this umbilical to like you know flip these switches and get it to do all the things and it did a lot of things and as we were backing it up there was just one person that didn't quite notice that that umbilical had gotten under a wheel and cut it and now i get to go and tell the director <laughs> we're working on it really fast i need some tape i need some super glue and we got it back online really soon and she was able to shoot around and we got all the shots we needed but that one was probably the hardest because of the scope of the build and the time that we had to do it. It was so complicated in how to make it work by the time we got to the end that we actually were able to suit up one of our prop guys, Aaron Higgins, and make him the stormtrooper who was shooting it because it, it was going to fall apart. So we needed someone who knew how to be like, this goes here and this goes here. Yeah, yeah and like we can't close this door until the tray goes yeah. in or the door's going to come down and break our little egg bombs and knock the door off. And so yeah. we just needed a, much like, you know, you're putting somebody who you trust in with the tools to carve a gaffy stick. A lot of times you need to put crew members on set because mm -hmm. they are the absolute most qualified people to perform with those props. I think the hardest prop for us was Ahsoka's lightsabers, because mm -hmm. Dave was so picky. And because <laughs> Dave wanted them to be a certain scale, season the first time we saw her, the battery was external. And so we put the batteries up her, we just didn't have enough space to fit all the guts inside in the power source. So we put the batteries in her gauntlets. We just kind of hid them in there. So then, you know, Rosario's holding them, and like, you know, she can't leave set, you know, she's, you know, she has to stand away for us. So then when we knew her, she was getting her own show, I'm like, we just can't do this. So there's a guy named Lee Trujillo, who's right over Woo! here. Lee! So Lee Boo! actually wrote, like, he designed this whole new card, this whole chip card that we could shrink all the electronics inside the saber and make it work even smaller. Mm -hmm. So that she was able to then, we didn't have to do the external battery, we could do an internal battery. But I was, I was just freaking out, like how am I gonna make, like, I don't, we don't have, the, the technology that we have is not small enough. And I, I needed to like go in the future and pull something. We found Lee, and Lee went to the future and made us this new chip. Yeah, <laughs> he built a time machine just to make it happen. Our, all of the Kenobi sabers were a success because of Lee. Yeah. They were all fully contained, light color, temperature, and controllable by the board. They were a thing of beauty. Because Ewan does all this spinny crap. Yeah. You know? And there's no. There's no way to put a cord. There's no, like, yeah. he's going to be flipping, and it's just, it had to be all in one, and Lee figured it out. Yeah. Nice. Lee's a genius. I was just kidding. Yeah. 
It's right. a little yes. creepy, actually. Yes. Over here with the lightsaber in the air. Hold on one second. He's going. He wants oh, Lee to fix it. The light should be a lightsaber. <laughs> Can you tell me about uh, your your methods of weathering props? I got to work with this um, with this onset painter a long, long time ago, and he showed me um, this magic magic concoction, which is paste wax for furniture and dry pigments that you can get at the paint store. And it's removable with like Windex, any ammonia base solves it. It adds texture, it takes sheen down, and you can apply it in minutes. And so that's one of the things that I'm a huge fan of. But also, I love beating the hell out of stuff, especially for Star Wars. There's a droid down there at the PMG thing, which you might notice is like rusty and paint faded and dented and all of that. And it's just, sometimes just Beat it up and 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 take it down so far that you're like, is this too far? No, let's keep going. You know, um, so that's a little bit of the idea behind it for Star Wars, especially. There's nothing that's new, or there there's very little that's new. And for you know the the process, if you ever want a quick age pass, I really recommend dry pigment dry pigments, excuse me, and just Home Depot furniture paste wax and a, and a brush and you'll learn you'll figure it out really fast and it goes so it goes so quick I'm a big fan of the physical distressing as well if you can sometimes we'll even have a, our painter will just take like a chain like a big heavy chain and just whack you know just whack stuff give it a nice yeah. sandpaper yeah you yeah. aged so much you drag it across so the parking lot I've, I've seen like shops do it where they, they have like a one of those um, they have those small cement like mixer? cement mixers and they'll throw bricks in it and then throw the prop in there and just let it go. I would do that with leather. Yeah. Throw it, you get it wet and throw it in with rocks and bricks and well, in my background, I started as a set painter and sign writer, local seven twenty nine. If anyone's here, um, so aging, distressing, painting was my background, and then you know if we had a a planet of three hundred background items, I was like, I got this. I can make this look old. Yeah, it was. Ma she's magic. Are there, uh, right down here. Yep. Uh, well, I've got one in sort of follow-up. Do you guys have any weight? Is okay. <laughs> There's a podcast. There's a podcast. That's fine. Okay, so uh, I don't know if you know this or if you can say anything, and I do have a follow-up. Is, is there any new season of? Any of these shows that have been greenlit yet, or anything we think might still be coming? <laughs> Can't say. Okay. Okay. No, so, I can. I can tell you. Okay. Um, I just. I was. Here's a little douchey name drop, but I was talking to Ewan uh, the other day. Oh, here. I know. Sorry, but he wants to do a second season of Kenobi. Woo! And if he wants to do a second season of Kenobi. There's a decent chance that there will be. It, there's nothing on the books. There's nothing happening. But there is that interest. So there's a spark of hope. Excellent. There, there, is, a, hope. there is a show coming out called Skeleton Crew. I don't know if right, everyone's right. familiar with that. So uh, that is John Watts uh, directed. Um, so that's, that's the next thing coming out. That's right. the next thing on the schedule. Okay. So then the follow-up is in a potentially second season of, say, Obi-Wan. Or, or a second season of Skeleton Crew or Ahsoka, what is it you look for in a droid that you might want to get from a builder outside? Uh -huh, mm -hmm. uh, specifically, as specific as you can be, except for upside down. I would need something free. that's totally brand new, but is absolutely not new. Okay, <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah. 
Mando season four was just swatching in the garment district the other day. Oh. Swatching. Uh, is that questions over here? Uh, one back here in the back of the green shirt. Oh, I was I was rooting for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to you. I'll get, you'll be you'll be next. He wore a suit. You'll be next. Hi, you mentioned um, paste wax and dental resin and what are other um, materials from adjacent industries that you've discovered like a Rumpelstiltskin tool? <laughs> Everything. There, yeah. Nothing is ever made for the film industry, right? So we, we take dental epoxies and re you know the when they put the light on your tooth when they're gluing it back together and stuff UV like resin? That? Yeah, that stuff is amazing. Uh, all of, none of the stuff we use was ever designed for film use. It's just stuff we adapt. So it's everything out there, you find it, you figure out how best it works for what you're doing and, and use it. All right, we got this question down here is in waiting. Oh, okay. Oh, Wait, what? We're, we're trying, we're working on it. We're working, we're, we're trying. Working. Uh, did you work on uh, season three of The Mandalorian? Uh, I, I did, yes. Uh, so the droid in the cave scene that like is trying to suck Mandal The Mandalorian's blood, uh -huh. uh, what was your thought process of making that? Because that's by far my favorite creature ever in the Star Wars series. <laughs> nice. Well, so that actually wasn't a droid at first. That was a different character. Mm. And then we shot it with a human in a costume. And the edit, we did I, people above me, John Favreau didn't like. And so they changed that. So that droid was then put in afterwards in visual effects for mm. probably quite a bit of money. <laughs> there was a question right down here. There you go. First off, thank you for coming so much. This is awesome. A uh, question for Patrick and Josh. Um, in Ahsoka, spoiler if you guys haven't watched, I would assume so. Um, with the return of Thrawn and his troops of like Captain <laughs> <What>? Enoch. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? Um, uh, and with like Captain Enoch and his troops that have like Kintsugi armor and like they're battered and bruised, how was your, what was the process for like, were their weapons any different? What was the thought? Because I know you guys aren't costume. Um, but was there any different process going into like the weapons that yeah, we're that using? Or definitely. So like, we did a new blaster for uh, Captain Enoch, and we added some of the Kitsugi stuff. I just don't know. I don't think he ever draws it, really. I think yeah, you don't ever really see yeah. it. I think um, that was actually... I had moved on to Skeleton Crew by that point. I think that was a John Bush yeah. joint. But we did do we did follow that lead. Shauna and her team did an amazing job with those costumes, and they were they were just grinding and throwing. I mean, they, they looked awesome. They looked great. So we matched that style for sure for Captain Enoch. We made a new blaster for Thrawn. I don't think you really ever you see, don't it. see it. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's, um, we did try to you know we we work very closely, and I think I would say this for Brad too. We work very closely with the costume and wardrobe department because for one thing, like. Sometimes we do holsters. Sometimes we'll have them do a, uh, holsters or belts for certain things. We want to make sure everything fits and works. So we did the belt and the holsters for Sabine, you know, and uh, Lee. And again, not only the building lightsabers is amazing. Uh, uh, he can use leather. He can sew. He's just that's fantastic stuff. So um, we work very closely with that. So we try to f we want to make sure everything fits. You know, whether it's the species or the look, make sure the aesthetic matches the costume all the way down to the prop. And like what we were talking about before with scale and breaking up the silhouette too, you got to be careful with blasters because once you put it, once you wrap leather around it, it is you know it's gigantic, and then you put it on, it just takes. It also, kind of speaks to that thing where we make so much stuff and you don't get to see it all. Like we had Jimmy Smith's coming back, right? And he's gonna go, and he's <coughs> gonna go to Tatooine, he's gonna go out into the Badlands, and it's like, yeah, he needs a blaster. 
So we make a blaster and he gets to see it and it's fitting and he's just so excited about this blaster. We put it in the holster and then he puts a cloak over it and this, that, that. Done. <laughs> but it's our job to put paint on a palette for the director. If they don't want to use that burnt umber in their whatever painting they're making, then they don't use it, but it was there if they needed it. And it's much better to have it and not need it than it is to need it and not have it. And it also helps the actors too. It helps, you know, the actors, it helps them get into character if you can give them something, even if they're the only people that see it. You know, I, I would like everyone to see it. You know, we were able to do, um, I think it was at Celebration, the Mandalorian Experience. I don't know if anybody got to go to that exhibit. It was, it was with the costumes and droids and props and we, everything, the, you know, the N1 was there. And so hopefully we can do something like that again in the future. You know, I don't know, but it would be great. And sometimes too, like a, a not, I can't think of an instance in Mandalorian where this happened, but sometimes a prop is so awesome, the director goes, oh my God, I want to show that way more of this and shoot mm -hmm. around it. And, and um, that happened on, a, on Avengers, the briefcase with the cube. We did that, that was for the tag in Thor. And when the director saw it, he was like, I want to get right down. It was supposed to be, they were just going to open it and the light was going to light up the guy's face, but they wanted stuff inside it. And the director was like, I want to shoot down in it and I want to get, so. Uh, we might have time for one more quick question. Very quick. Uh, right back there in the back. Standing up right there in the center. There you go. One more quick one. Hi. Uh, just like you're saying, there's like a lot of surprises on set, like things you were not supposed to be doing, and the director is like, oh my god, I had this idea, and the art department just goes like, oh my god, please don't. Uh, what was the most funny thing you created, the most, the most funny alternative solution that other departments would be like, what the, and you're like, it's working, it's working. Uh, when you first see Kenobi, he's uh, working as a day laborer, chopping up some big dead whale thing, and um, we had to come up with what that would be, and we had to do it on, of course, a budget, and I'm just, you know, we're making the knives, uh, and we're trying to figure out what is this, how do I cut through this, it basically like an oversized piece of sushi, and still see the fat layers that go through it. And so I uh, talked to a food stylist a friend of mine, and I was like, what if we make this out of jello? It'll cut well, we'll keep it cold, and we can do the layers. We, we made molds and frames for them, which were just totally off center and pouring each layer and getting them cold. It was really tedious, but it was, it was one where when you sliced it, you could see it, the inside was true to the outside and all the rest of it. And I guess the most surprising moment I had is when Ewan kind of just like, this smells, is this, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's a gelatin. And he's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he ate it. <laughs> And he instantly regretted it. Yeah, I, I tasted like raspberry. I mean, it was okay, but you know, when an actor's gonna eat, you generally handle things differently. <laughs> like, you know, maybe wash your hands. <laughs> so I, he, it was fine. We didn't get him sick or anything, but that was he a- He did it to make everyone think. That was a little surprise. <laughs> we got Oh, are you good? <laughs> I was just trying, I, I think the only food thing I can think of that we did with the, um, Dr. Pershing, the, the meal packs, the ration packs, remember we were going, we were buying all kinds of different survival, you know, energy bars, all these different things, we were, all, we were all trying them. Oh, <laughs> then we ended up just, I, uh, we just made them. Yeah, Melissa made them for us, yeah. 
Well, we just wanted to thank you all for joining us today and talking about the incredible props of Star Wars. Please come by the Property Masters Guild booth. It's down in the West Hall in booth 4401. And our panelists will be there for a little while. If you have other questions and you want to come ask them, please join us. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you.